Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,220. Whether it's my daily job or, or running my business, I think everything works better for me just because I treat everyone fairly and try to be transparent. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from Santa Paula, California, David Neal. Hey, David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am ready for this ride. Let's do it. All right. David Neal is the executive director of the Murphy Auto Museum located in Oxnard, California. The Murphy Auto Museum is a collection of 90 cars, camping trailers, and Americana located inside a 30,000 square foot building. David has a lifetime and lifelong love of cars, starting at a very young age where he collected matchbox cars, sounds like me, and later Hot Wheels cars. And as an adult, he thought, you know what, I think I'm going to start collecting real cars. And in 2005, he later added vintage travel trailers to his growing fleet. He keeps his collection partly at home and partly at the Murphy Auto Museum. David is married and the father of two boys. And when he's not at the museum or at his real life for profit job or camping, he's out driving and enjoying his vehicles. If you want to, and you should, visit the website, which is www.murphysautomuseum.org. And we'll learn more about that as we move along. And before we start here, a quick shout out to my good friend and past Cars yeah guest, Steve Ford, for connecting David and I today. So David, I told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career, your business, and a very obvious passion for collecting automobiles? Yeah, well, thank you for asking, and thank you for getting me on the on the podcast. You're welcome. I uh, I, I want to say that the, the the museum is what I do for a hobby. I actually have a, a real job that enables me to make a living for my family. But the, the story on the museum is in 2013, I got uh, approached by Dr. Daniel Murphy. Now, he's the guy the museum is named after. He started the museum in 2002. Mm-hmm. But I had known him because we live in the same town, and, and he, he knew my business, what I did, and calling on architects and engineers. And he said, you know, you look like a guy who has a lot of good ideas and youthful energy. I want to get out of this museum thing. You should take over a museum. And I just sort of laughed <laughs> okay. at him. I'm like, what, what do I know about running a car museum? He's, oh, no, it's fun. It's, you're going to have a lot of fun. It won't cost you a lot of money. So he was right about one of those things. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, it, uh, no that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what happened. He just had 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 enough of it. He wanted to move on. So I took over the foundation. You know, I don't own the building. I don't, with the exception of my cars, I don't own the cars. They're on loan from different collectors. But I really enjoy being the director of the foundation because uh, we're only open on Saturdays and Sundays. So that kind of is good for me. But I'm able to go down, hang out at the museum, lead tours, meet some really interesting people take this hobby of mine, this passion of cars, and uh, just channel it uh, and be expanded to where I can spend time with other people. You know, every Saturday morning, we have a bunch of dudes who come down with donuts and coffee, and that's kind of how my weekend gets going. And, <laughs> that's and then a we bad way to walk start around a weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we, we straighten things up, make sure everything looks nice. So when the public starts showing up at 10 o'clock, which is when we open every mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday, the museum is ready to go. So it's a really, really 
fun place to be in my life right now, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, that's a neat story. I mean, it's a it's an endearing story, and I'll bet your two boys uh, love having a dad who's got to run a museum to come down and hang out, <laughs> maybe help out a little bit, and learn about old cars, and and share. Yep. The, you can share your passion with them and your friends. I think this is fantastic. And I mentioned at the beginning again a shout out to Steve Ford. He was a guest on the show here, the consummate car guy who connected us. Steve has helped me uh, connect with so many great people here on Cars. Yeah, so a shout out to that guy. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, so David, take the wheel. Okay, so in terms of how I approach life, um, I, I just always try to represent myself in situations uh, fairly and honestly, and that seems to have been working for me through through my business and through friends I've met uh, through the car hobby. You know, cars are my passion and my hobby, but they are not how I earn my living. So whether it's my daily job or or running my business, I think everything works better for me just because I treat everyone fairly and try to be transparent. And that sounds like that is pretty obvious, but having been on this planet for the number of years I have been, not everyone is that way. But that's just the way I've decided to be, and I think it shows uh, through the employees and, and, and the docents, you know, employees at my real job, docents at the museum. Uh, I think everyone appreciates that, and so that's that's my pearl of wisdom is just to be transparent and have integrity and be honest. Well, you know, we all wish everybody would act that way, but of course we know they don't. And no mm-hmm. doubt, you you really can't have a long, successful business, I don't believe, if you're not that way, uh, like you mentioned, with your employees, your associates, because they don't hang around, and if, certainly your customers don't hang around if you're not straightforward. And I understand you have a lighting business, right? And it's your main job? You talk about your real job? Yeah. So I've been, right out of college, I went to work for uh, a company in Oklahoma City. Now, I was living in Oklahoma, going to college. I grew up in California, and you hit 18 or 19, and you want to see what else is out there. So I went to Oklahoma, went to school, and went to work for a gentleman in this business right out of college. So uh, that's the only job I've ever done. Now, I haven't always worked for him, clearly, because I'm in California, and he's still in Oklahoma, but it was a stepping stone. And so uh, I was able to understand the business, kind of get better at my craft, and Fast forward all those years, and I started for him in 1986. You fast forward to today, and I have uh, a, a similar type of business in Santa Paula with nine employees, and we call on customers, and uh, we work on construction projects. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a job that requires a lot of detail because things get on plans. As you know this, I think your father was an architect, so you probably can write a book on this, but but uh, what's on the plans is important because that's how you bid the job. But once you actually get on site, things change. And so in, in project management, when it comes to serving the electrical industry, it's super important to stay on top of the changes, uh, particularly before anything ships. Because once things ship, you can't send them back. It's just a super detailed business. It's, it's long hours. I like it. Clearly, I've been doing it. But that's why the museum is so great because when I'm done working or when a Friday is here, I can go to the museum and really have a lot of fun uh, playing with cars. Yeah, completely different. Well, there's nothing like walking to a home or a business or a facility that's well lit. 
Uh, last night, I got to visit a local place here just north of me called the Driver's Club, and it's a beautiful facility where they rent spaces for you to store your high-end vehicles. I mean, this place is top-notch, high-end. It's insane. And the lighting in there when you went in, I and as you said, my dad was an architect, so I have an appreciation for great design, great lighting, great textures, finishes. And I walking around, I said, you know, a place that displays super high-end cars, because these are very nice cars are in this place. It's not a museum. These are drivers. These are race cars, collectible cars. But the way they lit the place was so wonderful because there's no harsh shadows. It was very bright. It was engaging. It was fun. And uh, they did a great job. So very, very cool. Well, thanks for sharing your business side, too, because this is very much a show about entrepreneurs and business. Well, I'd like to go back in time and share your story that instigated your personal passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were going to be a lifelong car guy? I think so. And it was about year number four or year number five for me when I was just a little kid. And at that time, we were living in uh, Riverside, California. So for those who are familiar with California, <laughs> they know where Riverside is. For those who may not be familiar with, with California, Riverside is uh, just outside of Los Angeles. And we live there as a family. There's five of us kids, myself, and I have four siblings, plus mom and dad. And grandma and grandpa lived right down the street. My grandfather uh, died when I was just a kid. You know, I was one when he died. So I spent a lot of time at my grandma's house, who was a widow. And I liked cars. And she would buy a matchbox for me every time I came to visit. <laughs> nice. Now, since we're in the same town, we're basically just two streets apart. You can imagine I was visiting her a lot. But back in those yes. days, as you might remember this, the matchbox book, now, this predates oh, yeah. Hot Wheels, but the Matchbox oh, yeah. book had little numbers, uh -huh. and it had a number and a description, and as a collector, as a child, you could see which numbers you didn't have, and yes. those are the ones that you would ask Santa Claus uh, to bring you, or if you were <laughs> yeah. particularly good, you can ask your mom and dad, your grandma. So there in Riverside, they there was a hobby store right down the street, so we would go down to the hobby store, and I would get to pick out a car. Uh, I think she paid 79 cents back then, and mm -hmm. I collected a whole bunch of them. And yeah. I still have I still have some, not all of them, because those had the black tires. They yes. weren't the Hot Wheels cars. They were the black tires, and they were plastic, and they would break. And, and they popped off all the time, <laughs> at least on mine. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But I really liked collecting them. I liked caring for them. And ever since then, I've been a car guy. Yeah. How fun. Well, and of course, Riverside, known for a very famous, it's long gone, but the Riverside Raceway, very famous racetrack yes. mm -hmm. where all the greats ran, all the great race car drivers raced at and ran. And in fact, even Peter Brock had a home at the end of one of the one of the, the straightaways on that track. His house overlooked that track back in the day when he was a young man. But yeah, Matchbox, you know, my, my regular listeners know this story. I still have my first Matchbox. It was a red Jaguar coupe. I still have the box for it. My dad bought me that. He would buy me my cars when we would go to the hardware store. And I remember they were 75 cents. So we're probably somewhere in the same age bracket here. <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> I still have all my Matchbox by Lesney cars. I kept them all. I have this cool little car carrying case I got one year for Christmas. Each uh -huh. car has its own little compartment. And uh, yeah, sitting right here on my desk is my red Jaguar. So uh, and I've got Ferraris and all, and all sorts of ones. So yeah, and then Hot Wheels. Those were cool with the uh, orange yeah, race. Later. I was never really into Hot Wheels as much as Matchbox. I thought Hot Wheels were a little too flashy. 
Uh, what's funny is this uh, is a few months ago. I met Larry Wood for the first time ever. The father of oh, Hot Wheels. Yeah. So, <laughs> nice. But, but the, the, the matchbox, I just liked the matchbox because they were all stock cars. Yeah. They had those black plastic tires and you and mm-hmm. I can spend some time offline to talk about the ones that we liked. You know, I, I was like the Studebaker Wagoneer that was the blue one. Oh yeah. The, I've got that. The, black the tires, sliding the little, top. The sliding top. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a man with a little dog. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, so yep. I still have. I still have that one. <laughs> oh well, good for you because my dog ran away. I have lost the dog. The man I have, but his dog <laughs> left home, never came uh, back. So, but you still have oh. the gun because I think the man's holding a gun. I think he's holding. Yes, he yeah, he's like a hunter yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, oh, what a great memory! Well, thanks for bringing that back, David. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure you faced. These are wonderful learning lessons and. I don't know where you're going to take me on this journey here, but I want you to kind of take us into that time, walk us through it, and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward in your business, in your career, and maybe even the museum. Sure. Okay. So uh, I was, as I previously stated, I'm from California. I was born here, but then I left when I was 18 or 19, and then life took me to other places. I've lived in uh, Oklahoma City. I've lived in Tulsa. I've lived in Jackson, Mississippi. I've actually lived in Japan. I went to Japan for a while and and lived there and maintained relationships there. But there was a point in my life and I was living in Jackson, Mississippi. Really liked it. The people are friendly, the you know, nice, the business was good, the food is good. But I wasn't from Mississippi and I just really felt a uh urging to come back to California. And so since I had an established business in Jackson, I was able to sell it to a partner and I moved back to California in 1995 to do the same thing, just a different set of customers in a different town. And there were there were many people here in this town, in this area, that said, since I wasn't from here, I would not succeed, even though I told them, well, I was born in California. Uh, and they did nothing to help me, but I persevered. And fast forward to today, my business has nine employees. It went from three counties to 10. Uh, and most, yeah, most of those naysayers aren't even in the business anymore. Some retired. Uh, the Great Recession of 2008 did a lot of those other ones in. And what I learned from that experience uh, is if, if I think I'm right, you know, if you think you're right, then make a path through the noise. Do what you know you have to do and realize that, you know, we're in a marathon. We're not in a sprint. You know, a lot of people are sprinting. People in, get in and out of the, of the business I'm in. They get in and out. You know, there's a big splash. They get into the business. Everyone is, rings their hands and bites their nails about, oh, what's that going to mean to us who've been here longer? And a lot of these people are gone now. But they were in it to make some money and to sprint and move away. But uh, I'm in this as a marathon. And that's how I approach life. You know, just, just give a lot of singles and doubles, the occasional triple and home run. But if you're just steady and are, are, are honest in your dealings, then uh, that's probably the, the best life lesson I could tell anybody. Absolutely. You know, it is a valuable lesson. And the other golden nugget you dropped there is don't listen to naysayers. There are plenty of people who are going to tell you you can't succeed. I, I Luckily, I've surrounded myself with some really great people. So when I started podcasting, I really didn't get too much of that. I had a lot of people, hey, go for it. Give it a try. This is great. It'll be fun doesn't work, you'll learn a lot of things and move forward from there. But uh, one of the things, you know, another thing that's important here, and maybe you can sh- touch on this a little bit, is 
That recession of 08, 09, 10, I mean, that was a brutal to the housing and, and construction industry amongst many industries. And I've had many people in the guests that darn near lost everything during that time. What's one little tip you might give somebody in business? Because, you know, these you and I have been around long enough to see a bunch of these. I mean, there's the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. I mean, they come and go. That one was especially tough, of course, but all of them are tough when you're in an industry that's hit by it. So what's one little piece of advice you might offer somebody so they're prepared or better prepared when that day comes because it will? Well, I think when you've been in the business a long time, you kind of develop a sixth sense. and you can tell when things are changing. Now, in in my lighting and electrical business, what does that mean? That that means when architects are running out of work or when electrical engineers, which typically are the next tier in, when they're running out of work or when electrical contractors, there aren't any jobs to bid. That's a leading indicator of there might be trouble. Now, you know, the electrical business is cyclical. So that might happen, but then... A month later, it may go away. But when it sustains, yes. then you know there might be there might be storm clouds ahead. And fortunately, I was able to save money. Uh, so when we we would have some slow times, there was money to to keep the company going. I sound like a sage, but that's just common sense. Where I messed up in 2008 is I had eight employees, and I just felt things are going to get better. Well, let's just wait till next month. And then you're in it too deep, and then you have to go and and have a hard conversation with people, and they have to they have to move on. That was the hardest thing I've ever had to do: is go from a company of eight to a company of four. Of course, now we're up to a company of nine, but none of those people that I laid off uh, back then are here now. You know, they've gone on to other things. But it makes you stronger. It makes you realize that if it happens again, which, you know, I probably have one or two more cycles in me and it could, I hope it doesn't, but it could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that if, if I see those storm clouds on the horizon, I act sooner as opposed to later uh, yeah. uh, to adapt to the changing economy. Yeah. Two strong messages you gave there for anyone out there is one is don't over leverage yourself, save, have money, have a landing path uh, tucked away for when those times come. And the other is act faster when you really know what's going on. That sixth sense will tell you. And, it, and mm-hmm. if you go home every night, go, it'll just get better. I, you know, I can't let Bill, Joe, or Bob go, or I can't do that to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, that sixth sense, especially when you've been in business for a while. But also, the one thing I'll add to that is talk to your peers and other people in the industry. You mentioned it in a way, talking to architects, contractors, engineers, electrical engineers, Talk to them. Get on the phone. Hey, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? And have a frank conversation because when you hang up that phone, they'll add a whole other facet to that crumbling diamond that could be happening. No fault of your own. It's the economy. Oh. It's, you know, it's, what's, which president said that? It's the economy, stupid. Um, <laughs> I forget which one, but it doesn't matter who said it. It's true. It's It just happens and there's yep. nothing you can do about it other than being prepared, which is the key mm-hmm. there. So. Well, thanks for sharing that. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first special vehicle. Now, you have a, an interesting collection, an eclectic collection of cars, but is there a first car in your life that you got? Maybe it was your first car. Maybe it was a collectible car that was really special for you. My favorite vehicle uh, is the one I started driving when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. I received my driver's license uh, on March 1st, 1980, uh, although I'd been driving the, driving this truck around on country roads illegally for quite a few years before that. It was a 63 Chevrolet C10 
with a 230 straight six and a three speed. That was my first car. I learned to drive a stick. It wasn't fast because sixes aren't fast, but it was, it was a fun truck. But unfortunately, I crashed it on May 1st, 1980, just a few weeks later. <laughs> you even know the date. Oh, my God. I do. I do. I can even tell you what was playing on the on the radio. It on was, the radio. Uh, the Oak, Ridge, Oak Ridge Boys, Triangle Left Two Women is Like a Ball and Chain. You can look that up later. But that's the song <laughs> that was playing on the radio. And the thing is, I wasn't speeding and I wasn't going fast. Now, at this time, my family, we had moved to Tucson, Arizona. So mm-hmm. we were living uh, out there. I was going to high school. And a teacher didn't show up right before lunch hour. So my friend and I decided to take the truck out because now we had two hours. And we were just driving around some county roads. They weren't paved. They were sandy. They were washboard. I wasn't speeding. I was a good kid. But, you know, I was young. And when you've had your license six weeks, that doesn't mean that you're the best driver in the world. And the truck started to fishtail. And I didn't put the wheel in the direction of the skid. And it just made it worse. Yep. And it it did a, it did a 180. It didn't do a 360, but it just slowly landed on its rotated. Top. Oh, geez, yeah. Ouch. Yep. And yeah. I can remember seeing the uh, generator light turn red, and I remember seeing uh, 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 the wheels turning, and it was very traumatic when you're 16. But fortunately, we didn't have a scratch. Nobody got hurt. It was you know, like oh, I said, my buddy and myself. Yeah. But wow. I really really liked that truck. You know, yeah. the 63 C10 is a cool-looking truck. If I remember right, it had the turn signals above the headlights, kind of on the, the yeah on the, the engine bonnet. Um, yeah, yep. yeah. It was a neat-looking truck. And some of them with the uh, uh, the rear beds with the fenders kind of sticking out a little bit. And it had yep. that spare tire between the driver and the re- the left rear fender. Yeah, that would be yep. left-hand. Driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, those yep. are cool-looking trucks. I like those. And a lot of those have been turned into kind of resto mods now, and people use them, mm-hmm. uh, lower them down and have fun. But yeah, no doubt, scary so, situation. <laughs> yeah, so we fast forward to 2005 uh, when I started making a little money and was established business out here. I started looking for one, and I found one. It came out of South. It was the original family. It wasn't exactly like the one that I crashed. It was a different color. The one I had bought in 2005 was a step side as opposed to a what they call a full body style side on the one that crashed. But it was still a 63. It was still a C10. It was still a six speed three on the tree. And I bought that truck in 2005 and I still have it. One of my no favorites. kidding. Not, wow. Not worth How a lot fun. of money. You know, it, but people will stop at a car show and look at it because it is cool. C10s are really hot right now. I've had that truck since 2005. Wow, that's very cool. Awesome. Nice to bring those memories back. How about a seller's remorse story? There's a vehicle you've let go. You really wish you had not let that go? You know, I collect cars and I collect uh, antique travel traders, but I rarely sell them. Fortunately, with the museum, there's a place to store them. I like the joy they bring to other people, but I'm I'm not a flipper. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly, I sell something every now and then because it doesn't fit right or I'm not into it anymore. But largely, I keep them. Well, anyway, for some stupid reason, I sold my 1967 Dodge Charger last year. Hmm. It had 52,000 original miles. I bought it oh, out wow. of an estate. I sold it at the time uh, for what made sense because I needed to make room for a 1968 Chrysler Town & Country wagon, which is mint condition. It looks like brand new. But now I wish I had the Charger back. It wasn't as nice a car as the Town & Country. 
but I wish I had the Charger back because those those 66 and 67s, which are the first year of the Charger, and they changed them in 68, you know, yeah. 68 in the later body style, I think through 70 is the bullet car. But mm-hmm. 66 and 67 is the first year of the Charger. And mine was a 67, and I just, yeah. I was smitten with it as a kid. You know, I yeah. like the cool rear tail amps, and it was kind of a sweat back. It's pure 1960s Nirvana. And I know who bought it. And if he ever wants to sell it, you know, he knows my number. There you go. Yeah, the way that you said it went the best, the sweep, the sweep back, the way that back end came back was just monstrous in a way. I mean, you think the size of cars now, but and that big back, I guess, C-pillar, you might call it, without the window, mm-hmm. has got to yep. have caused a little bit of a view issue when you're looking out the back or looking over your shoulder. But It's a big it, car. Didn't that have, like, the lights all the way across the back? All the it way did. across the back. All yeah. the way across the back. It wasn't like the Mustang that would that was uh, you know sequential. Uh, right. They didn't do that. But it looked like an electric razor on the back, and it looked like an electric razor on the front, except the back <laughs> yeah. was red, and the front was kind of you know the aluminum and black. Oh, that's but right. It had had hidden headlights. It did. It did. And yeah. you could lock them. You can lock them if, if it's if it's icy. You live in the you know assuming you were a owner back in the day when they were new. You could lock the rotating feature so in case you were living in Chicago or Minneapolis where it might freeze, freeze up, and yeah. you couldn't have your lights. Then in the winter time, you would push the lock feature, and then it just looked like a coronet because largely that was designed from a coronet. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, it had a little bit of a, a wing with the back fenders. It was the way they yes. came up just a little bit, just almost like the Correct. comet, the top of the comet did. Uh, just a little. I call it a winglet, but a vertical winglet. But very cool. Mm-hmm. Nice car. Well. Yeah. I'm guessing you'll have one of those again in your life, no doubt. It's well, possible. You tell our listeners uh, when they have a chance to be in Oxnard to come to the Murphy Auto Museum. What are they going to expect to see there? What has you excited and fired up about the museum this year? Oh, girl, I'm really glad you asked. You know, when I took over at the museum uh, in January of 2014, I know nothing about running a museum. I knew about cars. I knew about people. But when I took it over from Dr. Murphy, it was kind of smallish. It was a little cluttery. It was more just a place where these old guys would come and hang out. And since then, just through meeting, very interesting, and and people who are engaged in the hobby, we've been able to clean it up. We've been able to expand it from 18,000 square feet to 30,000 square feet. What we're doing uh, starting March, the month of March this year, is we're really going to reboot the museum. And here's a couple of things that we're doing. Uh, One thing we're doing is we're going to bring artists inside the museum and we're going to display art now some of these names people may know some may they not but but a, a famous pinstriper located in ventura county he's just famous in california johnny martinez oh, yeah. uh, we're going to have some of his work i think a lot of folks might know fireball tim he's an illustrator oh yeah and he has a lot of of talent the guy has more talent in you know his finger than i could than i have when it comes to cars but it's just good to align yourself with people like that. Uh, world-renowned industrial designer uh, Mark Sternberger. Uh, oh, okay. He's he's been around. He does cars, jewelry, ladies' fashion. He's a great industrial designer. He's partnering with us. Uh, Daniel uh, Vesa. Uh, he's out of Art Center mm-hmm. in Pasadena. He he worked with Jerry and Maureen uh, on a lot of Jerry's cars. Of course, Jerry's gone now, but he he still works with uh, Maureen. And then Jane Gottlieb, who's a famous designer out of Santa Barbara. These are all yep. folks that we're going to have their their art on display in what is now our 
uh, quarterly display area. It's like a foyer where you first walk in. We're going to transition that away from cars as the first thing you see to art as the first nice. thing you see when you walk wow. in. And and this art will be for sale. We want to have art shows. We want to get people in the building because now we're more about cars and the car culture, but we're also about artistry and creativity and let it be a place uh, where people can come for that type of thing. And and you're going to see more about that on our website. You're going to see more about that on our Facebook site, but it's going to start the first Sunday of March. I did say we're going to start this off in March. We hope to have all the transition done for the first Sunday in March. We're going to start off with a thing called muscles and mojo. And (laughs) it's going to be coffee and donuts. Uh, the first Sunday of, of every month from like seven to nine, bring your car, hang out with us, just like a cars and coffee type thing. Uh, yeah. From, yeah. from from those hours, the museum will be open for free because we wouldn't be open at that hour anyway. So seven mm-hmm. to nine, you bring your car, socialize with your car peeps, and then you can go inside the museum to see what's going on. So that's going to happen every every first Sunday of the month starting in March. Uh, so it's those things uh, that we're developing the museum into something it hasn't been before, a continuing evolution. And I'm very excited about that. No doubt. Well, that is really cool. Of course, uh, Fireball Tim, he's been a guest on my show twice. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, you can find his show on the Cars Show website. He also has a vlog, a video vlog he does with his wife around Malibu, kind of life in Malibu. And he goes to a lot of car shows and things. So that's cool. You're connecting with him. And I'll remind yep. listeners, you can go and find information about the Murphy Auto Museum at murphyautomuseum.org, and you're going to see some cool things there. I mean, I, I see in your site a 1903 curved-Osmobile. That is a, a very old car. Uh, there's some yep. cool travel trailers, which, of course, are your fascination, some really neat stuff. There's some Correct. European cars there, beautiful 56 uh, Austin Healey 100, one of my favorite Austin Healeys, Avant's in the show, Porsches. A lot of American muscle and iron and uh, even a Talbo, 1992 Talbo. Uh, that's yeah. very different and unique. So, yeah, you and, don't see and those a calliope, No, and a calliope organ. So uh, I'll encourage our listeners. I'll put links on David's show notes page on the Cars Out website. Very cool. Make sure if you're anywhere near Los Angeles or Ventura County, uh, northern Los Angeles, get up to the Murphy Auto Museum. Well, David, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? 
I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from the Cars Yeah podcast. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? That's right. Cars Yeah is now on MAV TV. I visit some of the past Cars Yeah guests and take you along for the ride. Go to MavTV.com to learn more where you can enjoy Cars Yeah TV. Mav TV is also available on DirecTV, Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through MavTV.com online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, David, we're back. And before I jump into the quick last lap, the lightning round here, I have a very introspective question for you. If you woke up tomorrow and you were parked in your museum as a car or a trailer or a motorcycle, what would David be and why? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, first of <laughs> all, to give some visual to your audience, uh, I am five foot 18. And five I foot wear 18. A, yeah, so I'm six <laughs> okay. foot six. Yeah, and okay, I, gotcha. I wear a size 16 shoe. Both of those you don't see every day. So, Oh, my uh, gosh. Now, I'm still, even though I'm in my 50s, I'm still kind of tall and lanky, but fortunately, I'm kind of out of whack. Always have been. <laughs> that being said, I kind of envision myself as a wagon, and that's one thing I collect. I have I have several different wagons. I have a Checker Marathon wagon. I have a Chrysler Town & Country we've already talked about. I have a Studebaker Wagoneer. I collect Jeep Wagoneers. I think I'm I would be a a wagon because uh I'm I'm big. We just talked mm-hmm. about that. I'm not necessarily flashy, but I'm steady, reliable. I'm a workhorse. I have uh, a predictable performance and outcome, and so I just kind of view myself as an old trusty station wagon, which was everywhere <laughs> in the '60s and '70s. Everybody. Oh had one. yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yep, yep. We had the Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, two of those when Ooh, I was a I kid. I love those. We yep. take our family. Yeah, my sister and I loved having our own little skylights up above there with our own visors uh, to hang down, which was pretty cool too. So, all right, David, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's what's the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best automotive advice I've ever received is you never pay too much for a classic car. You just may have bought it too soon. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it's there. <laughs> Buy it because they're not making them anymore, and uh, the prices are going to just keep going up. Now, would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Uh, ever since I can remember, I have always been an early bird. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just wake up early, and I come to my office early. I'm usually here by 4.30, usually no later than 5. You just wow. get a lot done. You know, The phone yeah. doesn't ring. You can get caught up on whatever it is you need to do, and in the sales business, when it's when it's 8 o'clock, 8.39, that's when you're supposed to be out there shaking the bushes and turning over rocks. You have to have time to do things without interruptions. My wife's the opposite. She's she's a night owl. You know, she'll go till <laughs> yeah. midnight or one. Not me. You know, I'm yeah, in bed yeah. by 9, 9.30. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I get up early, but boy, you you got me beat by about 45 minutes. So uh, I better get on the game here. As they said in college, David is the guy that wakes up the rooster. If it wasn't for him, the rooster would still be asleep. <laughs> well, 
definitely a way to succeed. Absolutely. How about a resource? Is there a resource you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I really am enjoying Fireball Tim's blog. Uh, Now, I know Fireball. He's a personal friend, but I met him through the museum. And there's a lot of content out there. But but here's a guy, and you mentioned you've talked to him on the blog before. Once you start talking with him, you realize with him, it's, it's not about cars necessarily. You know, his blog is more of a lifestyle blog. Yes. But it's, it's, you know, live what you do. And if you like it, do it and, you know, be a good human, you know, love your family, love your dogs, uh, just love life. But that's just a great uh, vlog that I uh, watch. I saw this, I saw it yesterday morning early. It had nothing to do with cars. They were, they were taking us, he and Kathy were taking a a hike into uh, the (laughs) mountains. So yeah. it's just really, really cool. So I would I would uh, point people toward the Fireball Tim blog on YouTube. Yeah, it's really fun. And of course, he's doing what is uh, valuable to people and what we're doing here at Cars Yeah, and that is sharing that those experiences and those people and those cars and things that he does with others. And that's the most important thing, of course. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? Andy Granatelli. Oh, gosh. I, yeah. What a character. I never met him. You know, what's weird is he he lived in Santa Barbara. I've been living in Ventura since 95. I knew about him, but I just never had an avenue to meet him. And of course, he's gone now. He died in December of 2013, I think. But there's a guy who was who who started out from nothing, didn't have two pennies to to rub together. And he created such an impact in this in this car world. There's a guy I would like to sit down and, and have a chat with. Yes, that would be fantastic. How about a book you've read? Do you, is there one you'd like to share that you think our listeners should crack open and read? You know, I read all kinds of books, but I got to tell you, this is a car show and I'm kind of a car guy. If you haven't read it, everybody go out and get this book. It's called Harry Truman's Excellent Adventure. And uh, yeah. it's by Matthew Algio. And I'll give a quick, quick thing about the book. After he was out of office, he went back to Independence, Missouri. And about a half a year later, he was invited to speak at a at a convention in New York. So he got in a his brand new fifty three Chrysler uh, New Yorker, and he and his wife drove from Independence, Missouri, and back you know, to, to New York and back without any Secret Service. And the author retraces the steps and actually still talks to people who were there. You know, they're kids back then; they're adults now. It is a wonderful book. It's an easy read. It's hilarious. So I would ask people to go read Harry Truman's Excellent Adventure. Excellent Adventure. Nicely done. Well, listeners, you can find all these links on David's show notes page on the Cars yeah! website. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in David Neal, N-E-E-L, and that page will pop right up. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, David. And this last question could be a bit of a doozy, but it's going to be a challenge for you, and here's why. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. doesn't matter who owns it or where it is. I'm going to buy it for you, park it in your garage or your museum. But here are the rules. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. You have to drive it and enjoy it. I don't want any garage queens hanging out and getting dusty in your life. But here's the tough part. It's the only collector car you can have. Ooh. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Whatever. That's a tough one for a guy like you. So, what's it going to be? <laughs> it would have to be a wagon. It would have to be an American wagon because I like, you know, American cars. Clearly has to have a V8. So, I would say if you could find it, please, that'd be your homework assignment until okay. from now until you call me back. Go find a wagon from the 60s, highly optioned with rare options, like a like a V8 with a 4-speed. 
Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, like a country squire or, or some kind of Mopar wagon because you don't find a lot of them with, uh, with four speed. Most of them are yeah. automatic. But I just like them because they're fun, they're rare. And if I could get my hands on something like that, or even a, a Plymouth satellite, you know, a big wagon, a satellite wagon that yeah. had a big V8 and a four-speed, then I'm happy. Okay. Well, sounds like a fun adventure for me. I'll get to work <laughs> on that, see, see what I can do for you. So yeah, that's a you. it's a unique answer because most people know exactly the year, make, model, and color that they want. But you're you're giving me a little artistic freedom. So yeah. uh, Yep. I'll, giving you a little I'll bit of wiggle room. So there make it easier go. for you, I hope. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> David, you've taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you head off on a family trip in that wonderful 60s, highly optioned V8 with a four-speed with no <laughs> doubt a very cool matching travel trailer behind it? So I would say uh, uh, when it comes to life, just work hard, but play hard. You know, Everything in life takes work. Marriage takes work. Uh, family takes work. Kids take takes work finances, business success, but the, but be honest about what life brings you. Work hard to get what you want and keep what you have, but take time to, to recreate and enjoy life. And if people do that, then their perspective is in check. You're not leaning too far one way or the other. And it just, for me anyway, that's how life has worked out for me. There you go. And again, what's the best way for listeners to learn more about the Murphy Auto Museum? Uh, go to murphyautomuseum.org or look us up on Facebook under the official Murphy Auto Museum. There you go. I'll make sure I put links to those on David's show notes page so you can find it. Again, I encourage you to check out this museum uh, at some point in your life. If you find yourself in Los Angeles area, North County, Los Angeles, Ventura County, check out the Murphy Auto Museum. You're going to run into some very cool people. You're running into David having some fun, uh, eating some donuts, uh, hanging out with car guys, and maybe you'll run into <laughs> Fireball Tim while you're there too. Which will even further, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you're definitely the tall one. Now I know like why you like big wagons for sure. <laughs> All right, David. Well, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your many cool experiences with me and the Cars yeah audience. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you at the Murphy Auto Museum. Okay, great to be with you. Thank you very much. And uh, look forward to seeing uh, your listeners uh, at our museum. And we have quarterly exhibits that change. So every every uh, every three months, we have something new. So come to see us. Absolutely. That's the Murphy Auto Museum. Very cool. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!